Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. And welcome back to Southern Hills. You made it. You're here. Give yourself a round of applause. Yes, yes, back at Southern Hills, you're finally here. You wait all week long for Sunday to arrive, and then it comes, and it goes by too quickly, but enjoy the moment. Soak it in. You're right here at Southern Hills, ready to study the Word of God together. If you're happy to be here, give me an amen. Man, I'm glad you're here too. We're going to have a great time in the study of the Word of God for each and every one of you, and you're here at the 10 o'clock service, which is awesome. I love this service. We have one at 8.30, and we have one at 11.30, but you're my favorite. I don't even, I don't even like the other people. I don't, they're okay. I mean, I don't want to talk bad about them, but come on, really. You know what I mean? 10 o'clock is where it's at. How many of you realize I said exactly the same thing to the first, and I'll say the same thing to the next one, right? I, it's, uh, it's a lie. Okay. It's a, but I do love you, and I'm glad you're here today. We're going to be in Luke chapter number nine as we study from the Bible today. If you're new to church, that's what I do. I'm the teaching pastor, which means I come up and I take a portion of the Bible and I teach what the Bible said to the original hearers. And then I talk about how it applies to you today. And today begins a brand new sermon series entitled Roller Coaster. And in fact, right there in the seat, you have this card. Go to look at the card real quick. Go ahead and pull it out. See how it says roller coaster? Yeah, same graphic. And uh, it says, uh, embracing the ups and downs. This is a five-week sermon series that I'll be preaching right here every week at, five, at 10 o'clock for the next five weeks. And as I talk about it, we're going to be talking about embracing the ups and downs of life. But even more so than the ups and downs of life, the ups and downs of discipleship. Say it with me. Discipleship. Say it again discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to not just be a believer in Jesus? Anybody here believe in Jesus? If you do, say amen. amen. But to be a disciple of Jesus. And in the back, you'll find all five of the sermon titles. And you'll notice that I'm making our way through the gospel of Luke chapter number nine, because we at Southern Hills teach through whole books of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and in chapter 9 of Luke chapter 9, it's all about what it means to be a follower of Jesus called a disciple. Say, a disciple. Say it again, a disciple. Today's sermon is entitled, Ticket to Ride, and uh, I want to talk about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Amusement parks. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Who said yeah? Yeah, it's okay. Do you have a favorite? Six Flags. Six Flags. You like which Six Flags, Trevor? Do you like best? Magic Mountain. Here's a California boy in a Las Vegas setting. Give him a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Ma Magic Mountain. Six Flags. Not bad. What do you like about Magic Mountain Six Flags? What's your favorite thing about it? Everything. He likes everything about it. Pastor, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I'm not going to come away. Trevor, no, I will, I will. 
Somebody else, somebody else says, hey, this is my favorite. I mean, Six Flags is fine, but it's because Trevor's never been to where? Cedar Point. Okay, all the Ohio people back there, they're like, Cedar Point, love Ohio, Buckeyes, boo. Anyway, yes, Cedar Point is a, is a roller coaster park. It's a roller coaster paradise. I mean, my word. I was there when I was probably about seven, uh, about 17 maybe. I don't know, somewhere in my teenage years. And uh, they had just come out with the Magnum XL 2000. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know the ride? And it was amazing back in my day. Uh, it was a long time ago. Somebody else, another favorite amusement park. Yes, yes, ma'am. Great America. Where is Great America? In Illinois, oh, okay, I've never been to this one. And what's good about it? What do you, oh, it's a Six Flags. It was there before Six Flags, Six Flags bought it, corporate America taking over everything, boo, all right, very good. Yes, favorite amusement park, Holiday World. What? The original, how many have ever heard of Holiday World? Would you raise your hand? How many of you believe that Jason is making this up? How many of you? <laughs> in his mind, he's like, there's a place called Hollywood World or Holiday World. But it's a real place. Where is it? Southern Indiana. Oh, that's why nobody's ever heard of it. <laughs> because it's in Indiana. Why would you ever? I'm kidding. But we better talk about the Bible now at this point. I love amusement parks and the theme of uh, where we're going in chapter 9. I want to relate the concept of being a follower of Jesus with what it's like to enter into an amusement park and what it means to truly ride the ride. So today's first sermon is entitled Ticket to Ride. And, and here's the big proposition. The proposition for today's sermon is that discipleship, truly becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, one that's willing to be sent out by Jesus, is a ticket to ride the most dangerous, exhilarating, and exclusive roller coaster ever. It is terrifying, but it's also absolutely thrilling. It's amazing, but it's also absolutely frightful. It's expensive. We're going to talk about the cost of discipleship in this sermon series, but it's 100% worth it. And if you've never understood what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not want to miss these five Sundays beginning with today, Ticket to Ride. Let's go ahead and talk about it. What should I expect, Pastor Josh, as somebody who follows Jesus Christ with their life? If I'm new to this, right, my parents raised me in church maybe, or maybe I was baptized before I remember it and somebody sprinkled me, and, and, and I know about Jesus, but I've never been a true disciple of Jesus. What is that actually like? I want you to see a few things. First of all, in this sermon, we're going to see the life of a disciple. Number one, it's the first of three parts of this sermon. Part number one, the life of a disciple. Say it with me. The life of a disciple. Now, in verses one through six of Luke chapter number nine, it gives us an illustration of what a life of a disciple includes. Now, this is not going to be your life. This is the life of Peter and James and John and what they went through. But a lot of what they went through are going to be paralleled to what you're going to go through in life. Look what it says in verses 1 through 6. Then he, that's Jesus, called his 12 disciples together. Disciple. It means to fully sell out to Jesus Christ. 
Hear me. Look up here. I want to be really clear with what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to get you to buy a ticket to fully sell out your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to take a taste of Jesus. I'm not asking you to dip your toe into the pool of Christianity. I'm asking you today to buy a ticket, lock yourself in, and wait for the launch of what it means to be a disciple. And if you fully sell out like these disciples did, your life will never be mediocre, it'll never be mundane, and it will never be meaningless. Look at what the 12 go through. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over demons. Now, these are the people that have been following Jesus now for, for months. For months they've been following Jesus. And now Jesus is going to take them and send them out on their own to go to all the villages and the highways and all of the different towns and continue to do what he's been doing with them. He's kind of like a, a dad who's going to let his child go on the bike without training wheels. He's letting his disciples go, and they're going to go out. But before he does, he gathers them together, and he gives them power over the demons and power to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Josh, if I become a disciple of Jesus, will I be able to heal the sick and cast out demons? This is exactly what they went through, and it's illustrative of what you'll go through, meaning this. Jesus Christ gave them purpose, and Jesus Christ will give you purpose. You understand that your life is not going to be exactly the same as mine, and mine is not going to be exactly the same as yours. I have a different goal in life than you, and you have a different goal in life. You have a different purpose. You have different skills. You have different gifts. You have a different path. And I'm not supposed to walk your path, and you're not supposed to walk my path. And we are not supposed to walk exactly the path of the disciples, but there are parallels. And what God gives them in this moment is purpose in life. Let me ask you this. Do you have purpose in life? Like, what is it? Don't answer out loud. What is it? When you get to the end of your life and you stand before God, will God be able to say, mission accomplished? Do you have any concept of what it is? Do you understand why he made you the way he made you? I understand this. I get the fact we live in a society who tells you that you're a cosmic accident. You're nothing more than dust that came out of the ground and you go back to dust and you mean nothing. And your whole world is just a pointless, meaningless exercise of futility. I understand that that's what you're constantly being told. But I'm telling you the opposite. From a Christian perspective, God created you uniquely. God created you with purpose. God created you with design. And he's got a plan for you. And he loves you. And he wants you to fulfill that great purpose. Not only for yourself, but for the betterment of this world. And to glorify God in heaven. That's what he wants for you. You can believe that or you cannot believe it. Go about living your meaningless life without any purpose. Or you can see what God is trying to tell you. And the first thing that we see about a life of a disciple is that they have purpose. Not only that, it goes on. It says in verse 3, And Jesus said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Jesus says, I want you to go, but don't bring your wallet. I want you to go, but don't pack a lunch. 
I want you to go, I want you to go, but I don't want you to bring two coats. Just whatever's on your back. Go, go, go. You're like, wait a second, Jesus. If they're supposed to just go out there without any money and food and, and second pair of clothes, how are they gonna live? And that's where we get the second answer to what it means to be the life of a disciple is not only do you have in your life, not only do you have purpose, you also have, hear me, provision. Where God guides, he provides. If God's going to lead you in it, he will provide for you through it. This is not always true of every human being. This is what you must understand. Not every human being will always have their supplies met. Only those whom are coming to Christ and are sent by God. And if you are sent by God as a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple will not only be promised purpose, but they're promised provision. But the passage goes on. Look at what it says. It says in verse 4, whatever house you enter into, stay there and from there depart. It seems like one of the most obvious verses in all the Bible. Jesus says, if you go to somebody's house, knock on the door, be like, hey, I'm here to stay here. That's literally what Jesus is saying. Now, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm like, excuse me, I have a question. Could you like make reservations at a nice Holiday Inn or an Airbnb before I get there? And Jesus is like, no, just go and then knock on the door and be like, hey, I'm with Jesus. Can I stay at your house tonight? How many of you are a little concerned if this was you? How many of you need at least like me a four four and a half star guaranteed rating before we're going to be. But this is where he's sending them. And it seems a little dangerous. Look, it goes on. It says, whatever house you enter in there, stay in there, depart. And some of these people won't want you there. And, so, and, and whoever will not receive you, like if somebody's like, no, get out of our town. When you go to that city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. If you go to a city and you're like, nobody wants me here as a follower of Jesus. Nobody wants me here as a preacher of the gospel. Nobody wants me here as a disciple. Take off your slippers. Can I, can I get an amen from those from Hawaii? Amen. <laughs> Take off your slippers. Knock the dust of the slippers and say, fine. Then if you don't want the message of Jesus, we won't stay here and go on your way. It kind of feels like a a precarious situation to put yourself into. It kind of feels a little dangerous, but that's the point. Because not only does the life of a disciple have provision and purpose, it also has protection. Wherever you go in the life of a disciple, as a disciple, God's divine protection is always around you. Nothing can happen to you because you're on mission for Christ until Christ is done with your mission. That's amazing to me. And so what did the disciples do? Verse six. Verse six tells us exactly what happens. So when they departed, they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they go out and do it. They go out and they take one step after another step after another step in purpose, in provision, and protection. My question to you is what's your next step? You see, a follower of Jesus, by very definition, means that they are following Jesus. My question to you is, as you are following Jesus, what is the next step in your spiritual journey? Now, I know some of you have been Christians for like decades, 
and you're like, man, I know what that's like. I remember the last time I followed Jesus. I remember the last thing he told me was 25 years ago. And you still think that you're a follower of Jesus. You're not. You used to be a follower of Jesus. Because back then you followed Jesus when he told you to do something. My question to you is not when was the last time you followed Jesus. My question is what is your next step and are you ready to take it now? Like literally, what's your next step? Where are you going in this journey following Jesus Christ? There are only two ways to visit an amusement park. Two ways to visit an amusement park. Some of you are planners and some of you are feelers. The planners, they like to dissect every minute of the day like you're gonna go to Disneyland and they're like, okay, we show up at 7.30 at the front. We stand in line, then we walk inside and as soon as you walk inside, you've gotta stand at the rope and then from 8.42, you've gotta stand at the rope and then it drops and then you run over to Space Mountain, get there before everybody else. Then you ride Space Mountain, now it's 12.02. Where's our churro? Churro time, it's churro time. How many of you have been to an amusement park with a planner and you're like, I hate you? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me ask it this way. How many of you are like me? Because my family makes fun of me about this. I plan every detail of the day. It's not bathroom break yet. You have to hold it for 42 minutes. <laughs> I plan out the amusement. How many of you are planners like me? How many of you, you bother everybody, right? Yeah, all right, very good. And then there's the feeler, the feeler. This is who my father is. My father is a feeler. When my father walks into Disneyland, he's got no plan. His plan is just to enjoy the moment, you know, just. Do you feel it? We're here. I'm like running to the first ride. I'm like, let's go. We're already two minutes behind. And he's like, stop, listen to the music. Doesn't that make you feel, what does that make you, what does that remind you of, Josh? What feelings are you feeling right now? I'm feeling the feeling of murder. And I. I don't know how to express it because we're late. We got to go to the thing now. How many feelers out there? You enjoy the, you just feel it as you walk through, right? Yeah. You say, okay, which way is the right way? And the answer is both, depending on your personality. See, I'm not here to change your personality about amusement parks or following Jesus. I'm here to say, whether you're a feeler or a planner, what's your next step? So for the feeler, you might need to get alone with God and feel the Holy Spirit move you to join a small group. Okay, get alone with God and feel it. Let's go, do it, feel it. Some of you feelers, you don't give enough time alone, quiet with God to feel from God what your next step is. And you're feeling nothing because you're filling your schedule with constant barrage of distractions. What's your next step? For you planners, you've planned out everything in life except for your spiritual journey. You've got your career planned and your family planned and you've got your, your, your retirement planned. Everything's planned out. My question is, what is your next step in your spiritual journey? What's the next step? Are, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? If you are, say amen. Again, uh, many of you may not be. If you're new here, I'm so glad you're here. You're 
interested in Jesus, but you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't believe in him yet. That's fine. We're glad you're here. The second point of the sermon is for you. I'm going to talk to you in a moment. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, say amen. Okay, so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, my question is, what is your next step? For some of you, it might be baptism. Like I said, for you, you were never really baptized. Not really. I mean, there was a guy in a robe, and he sprinkled you, but you don't even remember it. So it really wasn't your baptism. It was your parents. Right? So you never became a follower of Jesus. And I'm not making fun of it. A lot of us went through that. It was a nice family ritual for them. But you never became a follower of Jesus in baptism because it wasn't you. So when are you going to get baptized? Like, what? What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for a message from God. Hello? <laughs> right? For some of you, you've been baptized, but you've never joined a small group. Like, you've been coming to church. That's why you're here. But you, you, you sense there's something more to this thing than just, like, coming and hearing Josh talk and the music. You're like, isn't there more to Christianity? Yes. There's doing life together as Christians have done life together for thousands of years. So my question is, when are you going to join a small group? After today's service, I had somebody come and say, Pastor Josh, I'm going to do it. I've been waiting for years. I don't know why, but I know my next step is a small group. So, like, take the step. For some of you, your next step is, your next step is to volunteer. Like, you're in a small group, you go to church, but you're not really involved. And you, you come to this church and you think, man, there's a, it's a bigger church and so I'm sure they have all the help that they need. And the answer to that question is, no, we don't have all the help we need. We need you. Like some of you can sing like angels, but for whatever reason, you've not yet joined the choir. Some of you can play some kind of an amazing musical instrument, but you've not yet given that to the Lord Jesus Christ because you know the time and the dedication and the work and the effort that's going to put on you. But my question is, if it's your next step, why don't you follow Jesus into it? Discipleship, one-on-one -on -one discipleship or church membership or whatever that next step is, my question is pretty simple and we'll move on. Here it is. Here it is. The life of a Jesus follower means that you're following Jesus. And you, whether you're a feeler or a planner, should start identifying what your next step is. Take it. Take it. Amen? So we've talked about the life of a disciple. Now let's move on to the second thought in today's sermon from this passage. And that is the guilt of the damned. The guilt of the damned. In the middle of Jesus' talk all about discipleship, now suddenly it shifts and we're going to have a parenthetical story about not a believer but an unbeliever. Not a follower but somebody who refuses to follow Jesus. His name is Herod Antipas. Say Herod. Herod. Look at what it says. The Bible tells us in verse 7, the unbeliever is, is boy, he's in trouble here. The Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, Jesus, and he was perplexed. Now, notice it says that he heard about everything that Jesus had done. He wasn't seeing it because he wasn't there. In, in our metaphor today, we're saying inside of this amusement park, these are where the Christians are. This is our metaphor for the day. And outside the amusement park, there are those who hear about what's going on, but they're on the outside. Let me be very clear. If you are an unbeliever, you are outside of God's forgiveness. He said, I heard God forgives. He only forgives those who repent and receive him. 
you will never, hear me, I, I love you, I'm trying to tell you the truth. You will never be forgiven for your sin. Never. You will sin, you will carry your sin through your life, you will go through really screwed up things because you screwed up, and then when you die, you'll stand before God, he will condemn you because of your guilt, and then you will go to hell to be damned forever. So that is what the Bible teaches us. And you are outside of the forgiveness of God. You're like, I don't think that sounds good. It's not good. It's bad. So the only way to get outside of the unforgiveness of God is to repent and receive the forgiveness of God. Don't stay on the outside. Come inside. Receive Christ as your Savior. You say, but I don't want to. Well, then don't. That's up to you. But you will be damned. And such was the person, Herod Antipas. Say Herod. Herod. Look at what happened in Herod's story. Now, when Herod the Tetrarch, that means uh, he was a ruler. He was like a, a governor of an area called Galilee and Perea. He heard about all the things that Jesus was doing, and he was perplexed. Perplexed means he was stressed out. He was freaking out. He was really upset. He was really worried. Why was he worried when he heard about Jesus? Because it was said that some, by some that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. By some said he was Elijah. Others said it was one of the prophets. But Herod thought, John. John, I, I beheaded John. This is, he, this is he whom I hear such things. So he sought to find Jesus. Why? Because Herod thought that it was John the Baptist. Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, to understand the power of this part of the story, you have to understand the backstory. Okay. So what's the backstory? Well, Herod's a king um, of sorts. He's the son of a very famous man called Herod the Great. And Herod the Great divided his empire into several parts, and one of them was given to one of his sons, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas, he was a king, he was a ruler, but he was kind of a freak, he was kind of a weirdo. He was like, you say, that's not nice. Trust me, I'm about to tell you. L let me give you an example. So he was the ruler of a religious people, and he, he was in charge of enforcing all of these religious lifestyle laws. But because he was a political authority, I don't know if you could ever imagine this, but as a political authority, he made rules for the little people to follow, but he didn't follow himself. Can you imagine? Like, is that mind-blowing to you that, that, like, political leaders would do such a thing, right? It would never happen in our world, but it happened a lot back then. And so Herod was making all sorts of laws and rules for everybody else to follow, but he didn't follow them. Everybody else was supposed to not commit adultery, but he committed adultery. Everybody else was not to, uh, to uh, uh, commit incest, but he would commit incest. It was not to commit murder, but he committed murder. He was a hypocrite as well as a sinner. Like, okay, so his story is weird, man. So his brother named Philip, he was also a tetrarch, like a king of a different area. And one day at a family gathering, he noticed how beautiful his brother's wife was and started checking her out. Now, this is weird on multiple reasons. Number one, because it was his sister-in-law. But number two, because his brother, Philip, married their niece. Say it together, ew. Some of you are like, what did you say? Philip married their niece, and now they were married family gathering, Herod the Tetrarch, Antipas, starts thinking, you've had her, maybe it's my turn. So he, steal, he leaves his wife, 
and takes his sister-in-law slash niece to be his new wife. This guy's a weirdo. Say weirdo. Now some of you, now some of you are like, that's judgmental. If somebody feels a sexual desire, they should give in because you're a very unaccepting person. No, you're a weirdo who lives in a weirdo society. You say, well, what is your sexual ethic? Okay, very good question. My sexual ethic is a biblical Christian sexual ethic based upon thousands of years of divine revelation from God. What's your sexual ethic? Well, whatever TikTok tells you next week is okay. Okay. I'm not trying to be, look, I'm not trying to be antagonistic toward you if you don't understand these things. What I'm trying to do is challenge your worldview. It is a weak worldview that has no basis in history, nor basis in reality, nor basis in science. And so exactly what Herod the Tetrarch was living. By the way, some of you as Christians, for some reason, you actually have begun to buy into the worldview of the world that's all screwed up because you don't spend enough time in the Bible and to see the Christian worldview of sexual ethic. And, and, and we can look at Herod and be like, what a weirdo. And my question is, why is he a weirdo? Why can't you have your niece? Why can't, why can't you take your brother's wife? And so this is what happened. So there was a guy named John the Baptist, and he's kind of like me, right, Baptist? <laughs> and uh, he said whatever he wanted. Like, that's what happened. John the Baptist said whatever he wanted. And so John the Baptist goes to the king, and he's like, hey, you're a weirdo. This is gross. Stop it, or you're going to be judged by God. So what do you think the king does to him? He sends him to jail. Why? Because political authority doesn't like it when they're told truth, when, when somebody speaks truth to power. That's exactly what happened. So they take John the Baptist. He throws him in jail. But he doesn't kill him because he's scared of, like, whatever John's God might be, Right? And so he's in jail, he's rotting away in jail, and then it was Herod's birthday. And on Herod's birthday, they gave him a special gift. This is really, really creepy. His grandniece does a strip tease for him. Cool, right? No, you're like, gross, why? Who says? Like, if there's no Bible, there's no scriptural sexual ethic, who cares? But anyway, I think it's weird because I follow Christian sexual ethic. And so this guy, he's like his great-niece... The one he's married to, his daughter, who's also not only his stepdaughter, but also his great niece, but also his stepniece. She's doing a striptease. Cool, right? And he, the Bible says he was so pleased, that's all the commentary I'll give you. He's so pleased with this dance, he brings her in and says, I'm going to give you anything you want. It's a creepy dude. She's like, fantastic. She go ask her mom, and it says, mom, what should I ask for? And she says, this is the most disturbing part, ask for the head of John the Baptist. The next thing you see is walking into the party instead of a cake on a platter, it's the severed head of God's preacher on a platter. They unveil it, blood and brains pouring out. So, now, Herod hears all about this miracle worker going around feeding thousands of people doing crazy miracles and you know what herod's doing herod is freaking out you know why guilt you say well, i thought he did what he wanted to do he did 
I thought he didn't believe in John's God. He doesn't. You say, then why did he feel guilty? Because you can't live apart from God, sin against God on a continual basis without you feeling the pressure of the guilt raining down upon your soul, crushing you. You say, religion makes me feel guilty, friend. All the religion in the world could be gone. And you, because you're a human being, would feel the divine presence and hand of God feeling that guilt upon your soul. Why? Because you are guilty. We all are. Yeah, Herod's a weirdo, but so am I. I can stand up here all day and talk about how weirdo and sick and gross hair it is, and I can avoid all the stupid and terrible things I've done in life. It's easy for me to point at Herod and tell you about his sin, but dear God, I would never talk to you about all the stupid, terrible, wicked things I've done. Do you want to talk about you? No, you know why? Because we all have the same guilt that Herod the Tetrarch had. It's called sin, for all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. There might be one or two very arrogant people in the room who think, I've never done anything wrong, but you're just arrogant and you're blind to your own sin. We're all sinners. You say, but I'm not as bad as Herod. Okay, so granted, right? Maybe you haven't murdered anybody and maybe you haven't you know, taken your niece and then your stepniece and whatever else. So let's just say Herod the Tetrarch is like a 10 on a scale of really evil. All right, he's a 10, all right? So, and then on the other side of the scale is Jesus. He's a one, he's perfect, right? Okay, so Herod's a 10, Jesus is a one. Where are you? Like, I'm not as bad as Herod. Cool, granted, you're not. So are you as good as Jesus? No. Okay, so where are you on the scale? Maybe a three. Why are you a three? Because I've done some stuff. What stuff? Well, I've lied. Yeah, the Bible says lie. All liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Hell, sin. What, what about greed? So, I mean, like, what's the big deal with greed? Well, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Your greed will damn you. So maybe you're not a 10, maybe you're a six. Three? What about lust? You say, you're just thinking sexual thoughts that are not about my spouse? Jesus said, you think you're good because you've never committed adultery? I tell you the truth. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's what Jesus said, not me. See, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, if you hate your brother and call him a fool, you've committed murder in your heart. See, I think it could be that Jesus is a one and Herod's a 10, but you and I think we're kind of like maybe a three or a four. And from God's point of view, you're way down the scale, maybe further than you realize. And even if you are just a three, my question is, do you ever feel the guilt? Like, do you ever stay up at night thinking, I hope I, haven't get, I, hope I don't get caught? 
Have you ever had a sleepless night where you think, I can't believe I did that to that person or said that to that person or hurt that person? Has that ever been your situation where you feel the guilt of God? Have you ever been concerned that one day your life will be over and you're going to stand before God and give an answer for your eternal soul? And you feel a sense of guilt. Maybe I'm unique here. I don't think I am. I believe all of us know that there is a righteous God, that judgment is coming, and I will answer for my sin. So the question is pretty obvious. What are you going to do with your guilt? You say, what, do I, what can I do? Well, I have some good news. So the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We all have the same amount of guilt, whether we want to admit it or not. God classifies us all as a 10. And the Bible tells us that our sin is going to drag us to hell, but God loves us. And because he loves us, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, and he died upon the cross to pay for your guilt. He forgives anybody who will repent of their sin and receive Jesus as Savior. So the big question that I have for you is, what will you do for your, with your guilt? You say, what did you do with yours, Josh? I'll tell you what I did. At one point in my life, I got on my knees before Jesus and said, okay, I get it. I'm screwed up. You're good. I messed up. You're perfect. I'm a sinner. You're a Savior. Please forgive me of my sin, and I'm asking you to save my soul. And the Bible tells me that he did that. Have you ever done that? Say, well, that's not my plan. What's your plan for your soul then? Good luck. Because the Bible says there's no way to heaven but through the Son of God. Jesus literally said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. So if you feel that guilt right now, you're like, what do I do with this sin? If Jesus came into this room right now and stood up here, no matter how guilty of a sinner you are, if you knelt down before him, would he not put his hand upon you and forgive your sin? Would he not? Of course he would. So why don't you receive him today? Receive him. We see in the passage today two thoughts so far. Number one, the life of a disciple is all about provision, purpose, protection. Then we see the guilt of the damned. You feel the guilt. You can either drown it out by the modern noise of society or you can deal with your guilt by repenting and receiving Christ. The last part of the sermon, and we're going to get out of here. The last part of the sermon today that we find in this passage is the mistake of the casual fan. I think one of the biggest mistakes that take place in modern American Christianity is there are a lot of people that are fans of Jesus, but they're not followers of Jesus. Like, man, they love Jesus. They're like, you like Jesus? Yeah, I'm cool with Jesus, and Jesus is cool with me. The problem with just being a believer is that you're missing out on the actual experience. Um... Disneyland. Anybody ever been there? Been to Disneyland? Raise your hand. Been to Disneyland? Sure. It's our neighbor park right down the road. We in Nevada get to go to Disneyland, but we don't have to live in California. How awesome is that, right? <laughs> like, it's the best. It's so great. 
And, um, and, and when you go down to Disneyland, did you know it's like back, back in the day, it only cost $3 a ticket to get in, $1 for kids. Now it costs $745 a day, and you can buy a balloon for $300. It's great. There's a whole payment plan, the whole thing. It's, a, it's really, it's very good. Um, but if you go down to $3, 3 bucks to get in the park. But did you know, did you know, how many of you went to the park back in the day when it was only $3 or $1? We had a few in the first service. Back in the day, yeah, like three bucks, but there was a trick, wasn't there? What was the trick? Each ride cost a ticket. Like, okay, so for three bucks you get into Disneyland, but you go line up and get on Pirates of the Game. You can't get in, why? Because you have to buy a ticket for every single ride. Yeah, there were E tickets and B tickets and C tickets, and you would go and buy all of these tickets to ride the rides. And so now what you had at Disneyland is a bunch of people walking around enjoying the environment of Disneyland, but not actually experiencing the rides of Disneyland. Do you know what we have in Christianity today? We have a lot of people enjoying the environment of Christianity, but they're not actually experiencing Christianity. They walk around. They dab their toe in it every once in a while, but not followers of Jesus, not really. See, something happens uniquely when you buy the ticket, you sit down, you clip yourself in, and you go. You have an experience to actually talk about. Look, look this is exactly what takes place in with Jesus and his disciples in verses 10 and 11. And the apostles, when they had returned, told Jesus all the things that they had done. Can I just make it very clear before I read this? Listen, because it's so important. You only have as much of Jesus as you want of Jesus. If you want more of Jesus, you only need to take more of Jesus. But if you only have a little of Jesus, it's because that's all you wanted. He's an unlimited resource. You just have to jump on. Look at the difference between an average believer and the disciples. The apostles, when they came back, they told Jesus all the things they had done. They had exclusive access to Jesus. In the next story, there's going to be between five and 25,000 people on a hillside Jesus is about to feed. We're going to talk about that next week. But in this moment, it's just Jesus with a few people, direct access, exclusive access access to the very Son of God. Who gets it? The disciples get it, not the crowd. Now, you hear me. I'm specifically talking to my teenagers and those in their 20s. You listen to me, young person. Listen to me, young adult. There are a lot of people that you'll know who are believers in Jesus Christ who never get to spend time with Jesus. They just never do. And do you know why they don't? Because they don't choose to get on the ride. Look at the exclusive access, verse 11. Or, or he goes on. Then he took them away aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. He takes them on a private desert retreat. I like to do this a couple times a year. In fact, tomorrow, I, I'll be going up to Camp Ironwood for two and a half days by myself. No wife, no kids, no you. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to have a Bible, and I'm going to have my computer, my prayer book, and I'm just going to spend two days with Jesus. You say, why? Because I'm a disciple. You say, well, isn't that exclusive? Yes, it is. Only a few of us get it. 
Well, I want it. If you want it, you can have it. That's why, for example, some of you ladies are doing this. Like in two weeks, you're going to Ironwood for a ladies' retreat to spend time alone with Jesus and the other ladies at the same place. In February, the men are going to do the same thing. Say, I would love that. Then, then do it. Don't you, don't you get it? He invites anybody who wants into his inner circle. The problem is a lot of believers are satisfied sitting on the park bench at Disneyland taking popcorn and throwing it in their mouth. They're part of the crowd. They're not disciples. Now, the multitudes find out where Jesus is, so they come to Jesus, they follow him, and they receive them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those that had need of healing. The cool thing about being so close and direct access to Jesus is you start joining the ministry team. Like, you're on and ministering with him. It's amazing, and you can have that. I talk to Christians all the time, and that's where this sermon comes from where I'll talk about, you'll open up to me, and I, I, I appreciate that because you're honest with your pastor. You'll be honest with me, and you'll be like, Pastor, like, I hear about God providing. Like, Christians just pray, and God provides for them. That never happens with me. Okay, why? You hear about provision. Why are you not being provided for? Protection. Man, I prayed for God to protect this situation. It didn't happen. Well, why? You hear about God's protection, why hasn't it happened for you? Purpose. Man, it seems like a lot of Christians just know where they're going, know where they came from, know what God has for them. I just don't feel I have that purpose. Okay, why don't you? You're like the guy sitting at the park bench at Disneyland and everybody walking by and they're like, man, Pirates of the Caribbean was great. And you're like, yeah, I heard about Pirates of the Caribbean. I heard about the mansion. I heard about Space Mountain. You're in the park. You're not going to hell. You're on the inside of the forgiveness. But you'll never understand what we're experiencing until you buy a ticket and ride the ride. You say, but it's scary. All right, then sit on the bench. Man, what a sad, meaningless Christian life that's going to be for you. And it's cool. You hang out here. I'll meet you for lunch. But I'm going to Splash Mountain, okay? You want to come? You, you want to come? You can have as much of Jesus as you want, but it's your choice to identify that next step, feel it or plan it, and do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Our prayer, our desire is to not waste our life in the mundane, in the monotonous the meaninglessness that the world is experiencing. Our desire is to have purpose and provision and protection, to be all in, full tilt, buckled up, front seat, ready to go, regardless of the inconvenience and the cost and even the moments of sheer terror. God, we want to ride with you. and You've sent us on this journey. Help us to do just that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. 
If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.